Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It is good to be with you again. We are continuing, I'm sorry, we're starting a new sermon series uh, this week called Committed to the City, where we explore what does it mean to live in and support and pray for and, yes, commit to the city, in our case, Chicago, but perhaps where you are, even if you don't live in a city, uh, hopefully this will apply to you in some way to think about how you can also support uh, those who live and work in, in a city. So today's passage will come from the book of Revelation, very last book of the Bible, and I'm going to read uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and then jump down to verses 23 through 26. Here are these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And the city has no need of sun, sun or moon or, to shine on it. For the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. May God's blessing be on the reading, living, and hearing of this word. So for those of you with whom I am connected on Facebook, you may have seen my post on Thursday where I made a public invitation to Chance the Rapper to join us for worship on Sunday, seeing that I'm recording this on Saturday, August 5th, and he'll be performing tonight at Lollapalooza. So I figured he'll be close. Lollapalooza is at Grant Park. We worship only a couple blocks away. And also he went to high school at Jones College Prep, again, very close to where we worship. So I figured, hey, why not? It would make sense for him to stop by. I, frankly, am not going to hold my breath, uh, whether he will show up or not. Maybe he has other plans. Maybe another Sunday. For those who don't know much about who Chance the Rapper is, he's a Chicago native and one of the most notable hip-hop artists in the world today. But he's more than that. I'll be showing a video on Sunday, and I'll put a link to this, too. He recently won the Black Entertainment Television Humanitarian Award, and I'm going to show a brief clip of Michelle Obama expressing her congratulations and also a very brief excerpt from his speech that he gives, too. He is the youngest uh, person to ever win this award. Recently, a Chicago Tribune columnist, uh, Dulling Glanton, recently wrote that Chance is an activist for justice, a voice of reason, and a vivid reminder that young black men are worth fighting for. I noted earlier that we open a new sermon series called Committed to the City, where we explore what it means to not just live here, not just to consume everything the city has to offer, not just to shake our heads at the things going wrong with the city, but to explore and ask the question, what does it mean to truly commit to the city's flourishing? By this clip that I'll show and by other things that Chance the Rapper has done, like donate $1 million to the Chicago public school system, he is clearly committed to the city. And so we want to ask ourselves as individuals and as the church and as people of faith, are we following in his footsteps? Are we truly committed to 
People have noted when they look at the arc of the Bible that the story of God's relationship with us and with God's creation begins in a particular location, a garden. Many people know that. The book of Genesis tells us it all begins in the Garden of Eden. But we may not be as familiar with the passage that we read today. And we note that creation begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. When we talk about what an ideal life would be like, we often use a word like Eden. Nothing wrong with that. I'm pro-garden myself. But we don't talk enough about the fact that a city can be a place where God's desire for humanity is lived out too. When we think about what the ideal life is, it can be both garden and it can also be city. So let's take a look at this passage and see how this is lived out, or described rather. First, we need to say a word about Revelation, a book that can cause some confusion and consternation. Just want to remind you that whenever we talk about the Bible at Urban Village, we often refer to it as like a library. And so imagine if you have a Bible at home that that one book has lots of little books within it, which means as with any library, it has lots of different kinds of writing. Uh, writing about history, there is poetry, uh, there is storytelling, there are letters, there is prophecy, lots of different styles of writing. Revelation is known as apocalyptic literature. So a way of thinking about what might happen when God's judgment comes upon the world, what might happen at the end of the world. It's a style of writing that was not uncommon when this was written around the end of the first century. We read at the very beginning of Revelation that this was written by a man named John. He talks about this vision that he had. There are many characteristics of apocalyptic literature throughout the book of Revelation. And so even though as we read it, it may seem a little weird, uh, Revelation often uses symbols to speak to a current situation, uh, and this is the case throughout Revelation. If you read through, you'll find what appear to be some pretty far-out writing, and you might think that using the library metaphor that Revelation belongs in the science fiction part of the library. So for example, Revelation 5, 6 says this, Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. One of the symbols that John, again, the author of this book, one of the symbols that John uses is a city, and he talks about Babylon. But most scholars believe when he says Babylon, that's a symbol really for Rome, And John was really writing about all of the things uh, that would bring about judgment upon Rome. So for a lot of Revelation, the city, a city, doesn't come off very well. One scholar notes that Rome comes off as, quote, gaudy, corrupt, murderous, and doomed. So as you read through Revelation, certainly you might think, boy, I really would love to be in a garden and not in the city. But Revelation does not end that way. Instead, we read that John has a vision He sees something new, and this is where we get today's passage. He sees something new, a new heaven, a new earth. No sea would divide us. John sees a holy city. He sees God coming from heaven to be among God's creation. The home of God is among us. This is not something where a divine hand comes and snatches us up to be into the heavens. Instead, the heaven comes down to a holy city. And this is no ordinary city. It has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God 
is its light. God believes in what the city can be. There's a really wonderful quote that I read this week from a pastor named Dana Ferguson Myers. I'm going to talk about her a little bit later, but she has this quote about cities as it connects to this passage from Revelation. She says this, Because cities are places where people live together in dependence upon one another. A city works when everyone in it does something to contribute to its welfare. It is the welcoming place where people arrive home at the end of a long and confusing journey. It is where God lives. People live together in dependence upon one another. This is what Reverend Myers wrote about how she sees why this city is used as a metaphor here. And I would argue a city, if you're truly one who lives in it, truly lives in it, and doesn't just consume all that it has to offer, a city is a place where you must be in proximity to all of humanity. You are so dependent and connected to others around you, literally. I have mentioned the author and lawyer and advocate for justice, Brian Stevenson, in the past, and I think I've mentioned, too, when he writes and talks about the power of proximity, the power of being close to one another, where you begin to hear stories and understand where others are coming from. But this happens only if we are proximate, if we are close. It is really easy to uh, certainly move out of the city into other places so you're not close to everything that the city has to offer. But you can do it in your city too. You can close yourself off as much as you can so that you're not proximate. You're not close. You are not getting a sense of truly being connected and dependent upon one another, which I think is one of the reasons perhaps why this vision is is seen, why God chooses a city as the final way that God makes God's self known to us. Being close, being proximate with all walks of life. It happened to me this past week. I joke with people that it seems like at least half of my sermons, I tell a story about an experience that I had on the train in Chicago. But of all the places in Chicago where you are proximate and close and dependent on one another, where all walks of life are there in those cars, it is a train. And we are actually trying to design our worship space a little bit so that it feels a little bit train-ish. But this past week, I got on the Orange Line. And so for those who aren't familiar with Chicago, the Orange Line is the main way that you get to Midway Airport. And so uh, it goes down. If you look at a map of the Orange Line, uh, it heads southwest to Midway, and then it goes back to into the loop. It makes a loop, and then it goes back to Midway. And that's all that the Orange Line does. It cuts through the southwest part of the city, arrives at Midway, and then goes back through the loop, back to Midway again. So for me, sometimes the Orange Line is a great way to get into the loop. And I got on the train uh, this past week, and as soon as I got on, it was one of our warmer days of the week. I think the temperatures were getting into the mid to high 80s. And so I got onto the train, and I have never been on a more sweltering train car in my life. I mean, not only did it feel like the air conditioning wasn't working, it literally felt like somebody had turned the heat on. Like they thought, well, let's turn the air on, but instead they turned on heat. It felt, and this is no exaggeration, it felt like a sauna. And as soon as I got on, I could tell by everyone's pained looks that they were feeling the same thing, especially if they were coming from Midway. And every time some people would come on the train, you could tell by the looks on their faces like, oh, this is the worst. And so you're there in this train car and it is hot. 
which makes your mood turn pretty negative, and you're looking around, and you certainly, in that moment, do not, do not want to be proximate. You do not want to be close to one another. But as I got on at the Roosevelt stop, there was another couple, an elderly African-American couple that got on too, and the woman was commenting on how hot it was, and she had a suitcase with her too, and she kept commenting about how hot it was. And and I stood there and was slightly concerned for her, and I was but of course, as often in the train, you kind of just do your own thing. And I was standing, and there was another young man sitting next to her. He was Asian-American. And he turned to her, and he said, Ma'am, would you like my seat? That's a very small thing. Many of you know that I always love to talk about the small things that we see in life. And this, I think, was one of the things that is so beautiful about the city. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, when these two individuals, who I'm assuming had never seen each other at all in their lives, connect. She was talking about the experience that we were all having, putting voice to it, putting words to it. This young man had noticed it too, both coming from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ways of seeing the world. And in that moment, they connected. They were proximate. They were close. They were dependent upon one another. The woman was gracious and said, thank you. No, she wanted to keep standing. And so she kept sticking it out. She got off on the next stop. I think she had to actually go farther, but she had to get off that train. And it was that little glimpse for me that made me think of holy city. This is what it means for God to come down where heaven and earth come together. And there is a vision for a city. The last verse of this passage really speaks to me, where it notes that people will bring into it, into this new city, people will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Let me read that again. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This interaction, I believe, was glory and honor. Glory and honor don't happen in our hermetically sealed environments, which you can easily find even in the city. Heaven comes to earth in this vision that John has. God does not beam everyone up. There is connection. There is proximity. There is closeness, which I think is one of the wonderful ways of why city is used as a metaphor for what happens when this day comes and how it can happen for us here and now too. So the question for all of us is, as we read this text and as we reflect about this vision that John has, this vision perhaps that God has for us, the question is, how will we respond? We get proximate, yes, we can get close, but it takes even more to commit to the city. It takes a daily promise to do so, and it takes a strength. It takes courage. It takes perseverance. One has to decide every single day that the city is worth fighting for. It is really easy to look askance at the city, to shake your head at the city, to dream for the day when you can get out of the city, but it takes so much more to say, no, I'm committing to it because God has a vision for it and we can see it here in Revelation and I believe God still has a vision for it today. I mentioned earlier this quote from Dana Ferguson Myers. I read this quote from a commentary that I often use. It's a commentary called Feasting on the Word. And this is a a book where individuals, writers and scholars and other uh, pastors will write reflections on a particular scriptural passage. 
And the way feasting on the word is set up, it takes a one passage, and then there are four different individuals who will write a reflection on this passage in four different categories. When I was reading Dana's reflection, I was so taken by his her observations and the way that feasting on the word is set up. You begin to read the reflection, but you don't see who wrote it until the very end. Their name is at the bottom of that reflection. And when I was reading her reflection, I was so taken by her observations. I kept underlining passages, and I would nod my head in agreement. And I was so curious about who was it who wrote this. And at the very end, I saw her name, Dana Ferguson, and it was... Uh, such a powerful story. And at the end of her reflection, when she talked about, when she was reflecting on the city and, and the, the, the desire for the city and the metaphor of what a city can be, also part of her reflection, she was talking about her own life. And she started talking about how this passage can also be encouraging for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Certainly, we get this from the verse that says, death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And so after reflecting on this passage and its connection to the city, she then transitioned into her own story. And she wrote about how a number of years ago she was lying in a hospital bed with the news that she had cancer. This was a particularly, as she writes, a particularly vicious and sneaky kind of cancer for which there were no survival rates. A friend of hers, a doctor that she'd come to know throughout her treatment, had come to visit. He wasn't there as wearing his doctor hat. He wasn't there to share medical knowledge, but only he was there to offer his support. And she writes that she asked him, will I survive this? And he said, yes, but you will have to fight. And then she wrote, those words had great meaning to me at that moment. Yet I had no idea how much they would grow in value over the next 18 months as I lay in bed struggling for my life. They'd seemed simple words at the time, Their profundity grew each day as I mustered all the strength I had simply to get out of bed and attempt to make it through another day. As I did, I heard those words ringing in my head, you will have to fight. So that is what I did, leading me into a new day that dawned many long months later. And finally, when I got to the end of her reflection, I was so inspired and I saw her name and so I had to learn more about her. So I started Googling her name. This commentary was written in 2009, and the first thing when I typed in her name, the first thing that popped up on the search engine was her obituary. She had died not long after this. She had died due to heart failure because of the complications with the cancer treatment. And so there's that initial just, my heart sank. Like, oh, she fought. But then I kept reading about her. And I read about her time where she worked in Memphis in a nonprofit organization assisting low-income and elderly citizens. I learned that she actually became a pastor at Fourth Presbyterian in Chicago. And I learned that she was part of the process that the church bought some property on Chicago Avenue on the perimeter of Cabrini Green. Some of you who used to worship with us at St. Matthew know that neighborhood. And in fact, we once volunteered at an urban garden that she helped create. She remained deeply committed to the Chicago Lights tutoring program that is run out of Fourth Prez. And after her death, the Dana Ferguson Myers Memorial Education Fund was created. And Ferguson Fellows continues to this day. She fought. She fought not only for her own life, but she fought for the city. Chance the Rapper still fights for the city. They both had and have a vision for what the city can be. 
It's a vision that was proclaimed by a man named John 2,000 years ago, a city where God comes to dwell, a city where people bring into it glory and honor. And that vision can still happen for us today. Are we ready to commit? Do we believe that the city is worth fighting for? John had this vision. Reverend Myers had that vision. Chance the Rapper has that vision. When one day heaven and earth would come together, we too are called to have that vision. But we will have to fight for police accountability, for equitable school funding, for affordable housing, for clean air, for community for those who are lonely, for a place that people can come to when they're anxious, for renewed spirits, for people to know the transformational gospel of Jesus Christ. We will have to fight for this city, not just commit to it, to persevere, to remain encouraged on days when it feel like there is no hope, that the city is not worth fighting for. But when you truly love someone, when you truly love something, when you get that vision that God has, that others have had, when you get a glimpse of that vision and that overwhelms your heart, it redoubles your own efforts to commit to something worth fighting for. And I hope as we move into this sermon series that all of us will make that commitment again. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening once again to this podcast. Um, Again, a note about uh, my own personal Podbean page, which has been changed. Uh, You can listen into interviews that I'm having with other folks as connected to my Failing Boldly uh, book and podcast. So you can uh, listen to that on my Podbean page, uh, on iTunes, and on my own webpage, christiancoon.com. And on those places, you can also reach out to me. If you have any questions or comments, want to continue the conversation, and I'll be happy to do that with you. Uh, I am off next week, uh, but I will be back in two weeks. In the meantime, I encourage you to continue to go back to the Urban Village Podbean page and listen to some of our other great uh, pastors and preachers. And so, until the next time, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.